I think the workers and the leaders need to come together on what is our workplace? What is our purpose? Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Alex Liu, the managing partner and chairman of Carney. He'll share how leaders, workers, and teams can find their purpose. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina, and this is Meet the Leader. I think there is unnecessary stress from lack of progress on some of the social agenda and the people agenda and the purpose agenda because the folks in the middle, that big part of the bell curve, don't get it or don't want to get it. There's been no shortage of disruption over the past two years. And with the Ukraine conflict, the ongoing pandemic, and a potential global downturn, there's likely more to come. Alex Liu has given this coming disruption a lot of thought. He's the managing partner and chairman at management consulting firm Carney. His goal, like yours, is to help his clients and staff reach full potential. But he sees a central challenge to this goal a purpose gap. Too often, he told me, individual purpose does not align with institutional purpose. That has led to that rocky transition back to office after remote work and even the great resignation. Finding ways to align purpose will help bring about something elusive and powerful, joy. Well, joy leads to gratitude. It leads to optimism. It leads to hope. And I think it leads to solutions. And without joy, it'll take longer. I talked to Alex at the annual meeting this May in Davos, and he talked about aligning purpose and what both leaders and workers must do during a time of unprecedented change. I'll let him get started on purpose and the biggest challenge he's tackling right now. The problem to me is mapping individual purpose because we are a people business with the institutional purpose. I've spoken a bit about finding the balance, which you can see in the ancient tradition of Ikigai. And you're probably familiar with that. There's one thing of what, what you're passionate about versus what you can get paid for and what the world needs and what you're good at. And so what I try to focus on is getting people to focus in my company on finding their purpose. We want to, in our, our firm, be the difference. Be the difference for our customers, be the difference for our communities, and be the difference for our teams. When you find that, then you can work on the problems that our clients have, and there's a whole range, whole range, ESG, climate, accelerating transformation, M&A, performance acceleration, dealing with climate citizenship. They have the energy and the purpose and the focus to be able to solve those problems. And how do you do that? How do you get people to dig into their purpose? Well, first make it safe for them to be who they are. Each person is different. Every brain is different. Every history is different. Every identity is different. It's okay to just be yourself. When you can feel and self-identify with doing what you love and loving what you do, then you can be a better teammate and work in teams where harmony, impact, acknowledgement, these are the key ingredients of any championship community, yeah. uh, can thrive at, at full potential. And what's an example of a, a time that you've helped the, the team with this or even someone that uh, you've worked with? Is there a way that you've done this? We can kind of get a sense for your approach. During the dark days of the uncertainty around the pandemic is obviously a time where everyone was by themselves, but they need to feel connected. What I did was you know, share my own frustrations, concerns, and even daily habits. What movies I was looking at. How did I keep healthy? 
How did I keep sane? Because of course, mental health was an issue even before COVID. I thought that liberated folks to believe that it's first okay to be isolated, but you can still be connected at the same time and feel that the leader of the company was also just like them, but also wanting to communicate, listen, reassure, be honest, not be overly optimistic, but also not be overly pessimistic because you need to have that kind of reservoir every day to keep going. There's been a lot of disruption in workplaces in the past couple of years, and there's potentially going to be a recession maybe in the next couple of months. How do you think that's going to impact some of these work patterns that we've seen? Do you think that the labor market will be as tight as it is? Or, you know, what do you see? Do you think people will be even more stressed <laughs> than they've been? What trend do you think is going to, to continue or halt uh, given the new disruptions? Well, I think you're right in pointing out that everything is retumbling. The nature of work, the definition of worker, the definition of the workplace, even the definition of the workforce and where they're located. I think what's going to happen is a premium on flexibility, adaptability, and resilience. I don't mean just supply chain resilience. I mean mental resilience, the spirit to be able to change with change. That's something that we've had to learn with. And it's a world of unprecedented turmoil and unpredictability. It's a no normal world. So what we need to equip the people that we work with and the customers that we serve and the suppliers that we try to inspire as well to stick with it, keep that energy going, as I said earlier. Do you think that you know, a lot of uh, workplaces are coming back a couple days a week? Do you think that's here to stay? I think flexibility is here to stay. I mean, I don't think we can impose a one size fits all. There'll be a period of transition, which we're going through right now. And then structurally, I think the workers and the leaders need to come together on what is our workplace? What is our purpose? Yeah. Do we need to be together, connected? I mean, one thing I would say to reduce stress, just to that point, is to just eliminate meetings. Yeah. I think there's a lot of unnecessary you know, Zoom, being digital zombies, mechanical, transactional, falsely productive sessions. We could liberate our workforce by just saying, be where you are, come into the office, we'd like to see you. Obviously you want person to person contact. We're not gonna have meetings, we trust you. Like, how do you sort of improve on the meeting or innovate on it? Well, we're not perfect at it either. No, no, we, no one is. We yes, have too like... many meetings. <laughs> of course. I mean, we obviously have our clients and we need to adapt to how they want to work in the office, on-site, not on-site, travel and no travel. From our own standpoint, we like the in-person contact. This is an apprenticeship profession. Yeah. We need to learn from people that are only six months, a year ahead of us and how they do things and get the body language right, understand the situations, side-by-side -side learning. These are things you can only do in person. We're all teams. We're yeah. social animals. But we can't eliminate that, but we don't need to rely on it completely. Digital transformation has allowed us to do things remotely and effectively in many ways. The role of business, of course, is shifting. A lot of people have been talking about that, of course, this week. In your mind, what's the, been the most compelling change maybe over the last five to 10 years? Well, obviously, the digital transformation has continued forward. It's transforming the world. It's, there's still great inequity in terms of who is, is on this side of the digital divide versus the other. Obviously, the climate urgency has really accelerated. It's top of the agenda here, and it should be the top of the agenda in all constituencies. It's an existential issue. It's something that is front and center here in, in, in our company and in the work that we do. How do we transition the entire world, economy, companies, people, teammates to be better climate citizens? That's something that's quite different than two years ago. And the other trend is to focus on people for people. 
not just parts of a cog of a machine or an economy or an offshoring exercise. There has been a greater appreciation that people are the source of solutions, and therefore we need to unleash that untapped energy. And they are also under unprecedented stress because of the things that we've been talking about. The mental health of individuals is so linked to the mental health of the company and the countries that, and communities that we're in. That's why I've spoken a lot about joy at work. Why would you sell for anything less? You're born happy, you go to school happy, your parents made you happy, you go to your first job happy, but we see this huge joy gap. And it's okay to be relentless and ambitious and career-minded and feed your family, but you also need to find in the moment those sources of loving what you do, loving where you are, loving yourself. And I think that is the key to unlocking the energy to solve all these problems. The problems we know, the solutions are there, but the people, the ones that are exhausted, it's too hard. It's too hard to fix something that you've been working on and working at the same company for many years. It's hard to promote someone who doesn't look like you. It's hard to feel you're part of a cancel culture. So these are all things that are happening in the workplace. You can't have joy without a sense of justice. You can't have joy without a sense of your own purpose or being in a company which you believe has institutional purpose, like solving some of the problems here at WEF. And is there one capability or skill that leaders will need to build on to navigate this future of work? I think the one skill that leaders need to have is the ability to listen and adapt at the same time. There's not enough time to sort of do analyses and then come up with a solution and socialize it. You've got to get to the point in real time, trust your judgment, trust your values. And I think that cycle of agility is what's needed these days. What's overlooked with joy at work? You mentioned something that I think people don't think about that, you know, hey, you need to keep this safe space. You can't have joy without justice. You can't have joy without equity. You know, but people don't think about joy and how it impacts them and how it impacts stress. Uh, why is that? What's being overlooked? Well, part of it is probably situational. I think we've got these companies, if I focus on the workplace, and maybe you could extrapolate to communities where you have all these layers and silos and metrics and routines and meetings yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that drain the soul. And if you combine that with a non-reflective or the great reflection, yeah. right, which is we've had the great resignation, I call it the great reflection. The last couple of years, given all the stress, being alone and with ourselves, we're saying, well, why am I doing this? So the question of why has come back. So there's probably been unnecessary stress to the workplace just because of the legacy things that have happened. The external stuff has created all this added layer of stress, racial justice, geopolitical situation, actual war, climate uncertainty. So those are the reasons why joy has been kind of pushed aside a bit. I guess the next question is, well, what is the antidote to that? How do you find joy? I think you gotta go to first principles. I mean, you have to first self-define your own success. Then you can draw boundaries. You will have less mental health issues if you understand the difference between stress and boredom. Right? You want to be challenged. You just don't want to be stressed. That allows you to find a place to work in, which allows you to be yourself. Obviously, we want leaders to be custodians and stewards of a just workplace. We want our leaders to be authentic and communicate their belief system so that they believe that they're moving in the right direction. They want the companies that they work in and are associate with, by the way, to be positive, to be speaking out on issues that matter to them. If you get multiple levels of people saying it's okay to be authentic and values-based, 
and true to yourself. Those are the preconditions for a great team. You have role clarity, you have harmony, you have acknowledgement because you're seen, and you also have praise and impact because you're obviously working more energetically for something you believe in. You'll probably have a better winning record yeah. if you do. Is there also a sense that people should maybe build for joy? One of the things you were talking about was, uh, hey, you can't have uh, joy without justice, you can't have joy without equity, these things. And if a, a company, maybe there's not fairness in promotions or not, uh, if people don't feel like they have uh, maybe the flexibility that they need for their particular situation, then they're not going to have that. If companies create their policies with the purpose of joy, do you think that that is maybe a helpful mindset that you're not trying to solve for a, a negative, you're trying to solve for a positive? How useful would that be? I think it's great. I think what I try to do is say, listen, I want championship teams. I want winning teams. They're serving customers better than our competitors are. And we're helping each other in ways that no one else can do. And if you look at any analogy on the team side, they have that. They know what their role is. They don't waste time. They have each other's back. Now, in the workplace, the issue really is sometimes not the leader. If they may embrace joy, we want you to work less, have the right boundaries, have a fulfilled agenda. And it's probably not at the bottom level, the next generation, let's say, of workers who believe that this is what I expect. I'm not going to join you for life unless I feel that you will deliver this every day. It's the folks in the middle, the folks that grew up in the old world, so to speak. And now they have all these tidal wave of problems to also have. So ultimately, it's about power. Who's in the room? Who's deciding the workplace rules? Who's promoting the right people? Who's leading and deciding the next promotion? Who's resourcing it and who pays? And I think there is unnecessary stress from lack of progress on some of the social agenda and the people agenda and the purpose agenda because the folks in the middle, that big part of the bell curve, don't get it or don't want to get it. So the, the role of the leader is to unlock that and say, no, I'm serious. I want us to get rid of the matrices. I want to delayer. I want to simplify organization. I want to eliminate unnecessary meetings. I don't want you working 18 hours a day on whatever technology we're on remotely. I respect your boundaries. I respect your different path. I respect your identity. What's a trait that you depend on in order to make that possible with the people that you work with? Well, I try to be joyful, but relentless. I think yeah. there's the right balance. You know, listen, I'm still very ambitious. Like many people in the consulting profession, we're all insecure overachievers. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to do this with a sense of, of uh, balance and boundaries and knowing what you love. Is there a question that you can kind of ask yourself to kind of right side yourself and uh, have a gut check? There's no one single question. I try to keep to a healthy routine. So every day, regardless of if I'm landing late at night or waking up in the morning in the winter or the summer, I go, I, my first activity is outside. I go outside for 15, 20 minutes, little jog, a walk, a bike, and I feel like it's a new day. So whatever happened the day before, no stress, and I'm preparing mentally for the new day. So this, you have to have a constant sense of renewal. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I'm in consulting because you know every problem is different, every week is different, every client is different, every team is different for that matter. So there's a constant state of curiosity. So the secret from my perspective is to have that constant learning attitude. Every day is going to be a new learning experience. That keeps me fresh, I believe. Is there a book that you recommend? I grew up in a family of coaches and teachers. My father was a professor. My children are teachers in some way, and their mother is still a special education teacher. I love college basketball, watching it. I'm not good enough to play it or never was. There is a book called A Coach's Life by Dean Smith. 
former UNC North, University of North Carolina Tar Heel basketball coach. He's not only a great coach, he coached Michael Jordan all and had great success, but he had philosophy and principles that I always loved from an early age. For example, play hard, play smart, play together, and I can live with any outcome if I can achieve those three things. I use that a little bit in my own leadership philosophy, which is I want my teams to work hard, work smart, work together, and I will accept any outcome because I know we've given our best. And I want to do it in a just way. He integrated the basketball scene in the segregated South where I grew up in and encapsulated a lot of his principles and perspective in that book, A Coach's Life. I think the world is short of inspiration. We have a great deal of problems that you know we see and we can get bamboozled by it. We can be overwhelmed by that. But as I've said before, people energy is the most renewable energy resource. And our obligation is to find ways to unleash that, to unlock that. And how do you do that? As leaders, what we can do is basically role model. Uh, we can be authentic. We can share our belief system. We can communicate our lessons learned in solving these problems. We can say it's okay to not be okay with the world and with our own mental health and be able to make people inspired to be themselves. I think folks in the workplace want to be safe psychologically and physically, as we've known over the last couple of years. They want to be seen for who they are. They want to be supported, but more importantly, I think they want to be inspired. So the role of leaders is to actually create followership, to be authentic, to be reflective, to be honest, to share how they think, not impose what they think. How important will it be for people to also take that sense of joy back to their teams, to their workplaces? Well, joy leads to gratitude. It leads to optimism. It leads to hope. And I think it leads to solutions. This is a can-do world, and without joy, It'll take longer. That was Alex Liu. Thanks to Alex, and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' podcasts, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast, is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. If you like this episode on the future of work, please take a listen to my interview with Stuart Butterfield of Slack. He shares his own suggestions for how leaders can get rid of meetings and some approaches that could save you billions of hours a year. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me with Juan Turan as studio engineer, Jerry Johansson as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for me. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.